morning church. Let's approach this throne of grace today in surrender. We prepare our hearts and offer him our everything. He's worthy of every word of praise. Can we sing to him now, church? Yes. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger. The King of glory, the King above our kings. Yes. Praise your name, Jesus. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder. Him in his presence. Yes, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place, Jesus. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Thank you. 
is better if you've encountered his love. You proclaim this from your heart. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing, no, better than you. Lord, there's nothing, nothing is better than you. Thank you for your presence, Jesus. Yes, your name is power. Transformation power. Well, we ask that you shift this atmosphere here in this moment. You proclaim the name of Jesus in this place. We surrender to you. Cause I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. Cause I know there is peace within your prayer. Speak Jesus. Yes, Jay.
Father God, we thank you for your presence in this moment. Jesus, we remember that you said whenever two or more of us would come together, that you would be there in our midst. And we welcome your presence, Lord. We worship you and we praise you. Church, would you be seated as we prepare to receive communion this morning? You should find a little communion kit near you. It's a little bit of a two-part thing here. You kind of peel back the top lid and then you'll find the bread. And then there's a second lid there. And you peel that one back and, and then you find the fruit of the vine. And let, let the Spirit of God remind you of something in this moment. Jesus gives us this so that we will remember who holds our future in his hands. It's easy to think that our future is held in the hands of a government or an employer or an economic reality or even the condition of the climate. But the truth is, God holds our future in his hands. Jesus holds your future in his hands. And he gives us this communion to remind us of that, that you might remember that and lose your fear and your anxiety. And so on the night he was betrayed, our Lord took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you, for you personally, for you by name. This morning he offers his grace to us, to you. Let's take and eat in remembrance of him. Lord Jesus, we are filled with thanksgiving that you should take away our sins. God, sometimes we doubt that that can really happen. But you tell us that's exactly what you did on the cross for us. You took away our sins. And Lord, we receive that this morning from your hand. The Bible says afterwards he lifted up the cup. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Now you belong to me and I belong to you. You are mine and I am yours. That's what this is about. And so he says, take this and drink it in remembrance of me. Let's receive together. Lord, we thank you that we need not fear what tomorrow may bring. God, in this time when so many are afraid of what tomorrow might bring, you set us free. You remind us that you hold our future in your hands. You remind us that if we'll seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, live one day at a time that all that we need will be given to us. We thank you for that promise this morning. And we receive the freedom of knowing that our future is in your hands. We do that together in your great name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand as we continue in worship, church?
draws near and my time has come yes, still my soul will sing your praise unending yeah. 2,000 years and then of surrender, to a place of submission, to before a holy God, a God that we can worship not just because of what you've done, which is amazing, which is vast, which is great, but we can worship you just for who you are, our God, our loving Father, Abba, Father, we worship you, Abba, Father, we praise your name, Well, we make this our promise to you, and for all our days, no matter what valley we're walking through. We will praise the name of Jesus, that our lives will reflect your goodness and your grace that you pour out so mercifully. Lord, we worship you, most worthy one. Hallelujah. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. There's nothing like praising our God in the house of the Lord. Well, hey, welcome to church today. We're family here. Let's do as family does. Now we turn to those around you and make them feel welcome at church this morning.
her, Cece. I love being in here. If you don't know who I am, I'm our kids pastor down the hall. But it's kind of fun to jam with the worship team, isn't it? I mean, they're talented. <laughs> they can take uh, yeah, <laughs> they can take worship and extend it just as long as uh, as long as you want to just sit in his presence. So isn't that cool? Uh, which actually is a great segue to the worship night that's coming up. So uh, did you guys know uh, not long ago there was a worship night and it was phenomenal just being together here and having just an extended time of worship. And that's happening again. We're going to do that on November 5th at 630. I believe that's a Friday night. So it's just a great time. Put it on your calendars. Come on down and be a part of it here. Uh, it's just great. So, um, But I'm here this whole month. I said, hey, that would be really cool if we could really plug teams uh, this month specifically uh, just because I figured you'd get tired of seeing my face and eventually be like, fine, I'll sign up for a team right? No, I'm teasing. But really, truly, just so you know, um, I, I love uh, the opportunities that we have here to be a part of a team. Um, you know, if MRCC is your church home and you've been attending, it really is a great opportunity for you to be involved in some way in your church. Um, the truth is uh, we step in to do something at our church, but really God works right here. And the joy really is ours when we're serving together. So, And that's really a great way for you to get to know some of the people you go to church with. So I just want to invite you to be a part of a team. There's even a picture. I think they have one up there for you, but there is a card right in the seat back right there too you can look at there's so many ways to get involved here not just kids ministries although it's the most important thing happening on Sunday morning but <laughs> when you walked in the door there was a greeting team when you come into the sanctuary there's some hosts and hospitality people welcoming you there's a sound team um, even just this week we have a cooking team that is delivering meals to people throughout the week there's just a number of ways to be involved so I would just encourage you to look at that list and see how you could be involved in your church specifically and and the cool thing is there's a little QR code on the back of your seat there, too. If you scan that with your phone, um, then it'll send us an email, which is actually really nice. Uh, that way we know that we don't miss. Sometimes we can't read a phone number. Sometimes we can't read a full email address or something. So um, if you ever don't get contacted within two days of filling out a card, uh, we might not have been able to read your handwriting. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Maybe give us a call because uh, it is our goal every single week whenever someone takes the time to fill out a card like that, that we would get in touch with you right away. Because we do want you to be a part of a team and we want you to feel valued as a part of the team. So I would just say fill it out and we will get in touch with you. Uh, and there is a table out in the foyer. So I would say, encourage you to, if you have any questions on what it means to be a part of any one of these teams, come and talk to us out in the foyer and ask us. We, we'd love to answer some questions or call me. I'll chat with you um, during the week. I'll tell you all about any one of the ministries uh, that you might be involved in. Uh, so there's that. And then another way to serve in your church actually is a trunk or treat that's coming up. Uh, Mops is sponsoring it, but it's really a community-wide event, and we feel like there'll be a number of people coming because um, homeschoolers, it's, during, it's from 11 to 1 during the day, so even kids that are being homeschooled or preschoolers are welcome to come. So the more trunks we have out there would be phenomenal. So if you have that time frame available on Tuesday the 26th, it's not even on the 31st. So if you have that time, come and decorate a trunk, have fun. Just gives the kids an opportunity to uh, enjoy an opportunity here at the church. So it's pretty cool. I would love for you to be a part of that. And then the last thing is Operation Christmas Child. How many saw the boxes when you're walking in the door, those nice big green and red boxes out there, and you're like, it's not Christmas yet. 
Well, it's time to start preparing, right? Um, I don't know. I heard online it could take a couple months. So you, you should really be doing your Christmas shopping, just TMI. I don't know. I'm sorry. But that's truth. Um, this is what the really cool part about Operation Christmas Child are those boxes. Uh, we fill them with goodies for kids all over the world, and we're able to send them out. That's just something we can do together as a church family and uh, bless people around the world. So we're going to show you a video so you can know a little bit more about it. But if you can bring those boxes back between November 7th and 14th, then we'll take care of it from there, okay? Check out this video. The joy of seeing a child open the boxes for the first time is just, it's incredible. We are so excited. Many of the children receive the shoe boxes for the first time in their life. We pray that these boxes will be used to bring a lot of happiness and joy, but more importantly, the gospel to each heart all these little children around the world. No greater need and no greater time than right now for us to go out and serve boldly. Oh my goodness! This is what these shoe boxes are all about, to go out and to bring a hope of Jesus Christ around the world. I'm just so amazed at what God does each and every year. This is an opportunity to impact the lives of millions of children, just like you've seen. But we need more boxes for next year. Every box is an opportunity for us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So thank you. And God bless each and every one. Well, Operation Christmas Child is always such a huge blessing. So you're invited to, to get involved, be a part of that. It's really as simple as picking up one of those boxes in the foyer. Inside of it, there are instructions for what to put in it because we're talking about kids in the third world. The situation's a little different sometimes. And so there'll be instructions in there for the kinds of things to put in it. And then you and your family can do that together. Great way to teach your kids about missions and a great way to serve. Jesus said that even a cup of cold water that we give in his name will never be forgotten. And this is that kind of thing. This is about our 34th, 35th year, Ron and I, of doing this, and it's just a, it's a blast. It's great fun, so you're invited. It's great to see you this morning. Welcome to Second Service. Welcome to everybody who's joining us online for the live stream. We're thrilled that you're with us today, and I know that we're all dealing with an enormous amount of unfamiliar anxiety right now. It's been a long time since our team was a losing team, amen? Yeah? Are we feeling that? Who thinks we're going to win tonight? Raise your hand. Yeah, see? These are all people of great faith that you're, you're seeing out here. I've told several people this morning, you have greater faith than me. Uh, but it's okay. It's in the, va- the God of the mountain, the God of the valley. Amen? I mean, try and summon up an amen from somewhere right there if you can. Um, Ron and I are excited this week to get away for a little bit. We'll be gone next weekend. We are heading out for our anniversary. It's our 37th anniversary this week, so that's pretty cool. No, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Because uh, there's a lot of people here who have been longer, yeah, who, who are further in that. But if my sermon seems a little bit shorter this morning, maybe that's because I got one foot out the door, you know, a little bit. So <laughs> bear with me. I'm kidding. Grab your Bible, if you would, this morning and open it to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 18 this morning. We've been walking together through Colossians this fall. Uh, next week, we're actually going to finish. We're almost done. Uh, next week will be the last part of Colossians there in chapter 4. This morning, we're in chapter 3, beginning with verse 18. Uh, if you're not in the habit of bringing your Bible, I want to encourage you to begin to do that. God wants you uh, to learn, to begin to experience His Word one-to-one, as well as in a group like this. And, and He'll meet you when you're reading through those passages with us on a Sunday morning, when you have His Word in all its context in front of you. So Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 18. And, and, and let me begin this morning by asking 
asking something that's really sensitive in this day and age. So prepare yourself. But it's something that God wants to talk to us about this morning that the Apostle Paul is going to deal with very directly this morning. And the question is this, do you know how to submit to someone else? Do you know how to submit to the authorities in your life, the ones God placed in your life, in your family, in your workplace, in your community? We don't like that word much. Submission is a word that we detest. And yet it's a word that God often uses when he talks to us about experiencing his blessing, when he talks to us about the example that Jesus has set for us in submitting to the cross and thereby saving us. This morning he wants to talk to us about submission because it's not something that we receive easily, but he wants to teach us how because there is a power in it that's found nowhere else. You know, you and I have been struggling to submit ever since we were very small. It was born into us. John Ortberg tells a wonderful story about his daughter, Mallory, When she was about five years old, they were beginning to really experience her strong, fiery, independent self-will. And they were having a real problem keeping her from from exceeding the boundaries that they were setting for in her life. And one, one of the ways that that was happening was that she would have a tendency to get on her tricycle on a summer day in their home in Southern California. And the next thing she knows, she's blocks away. She's wandered off somewhere. She's out of that safe space where mom and dad can observe her. And, and so they started telling her, Mallory, you can't do that. You have to stay here. It's not safe. And, and Mallory was wrestling against that. And so one Saturday morning, John tells the story about Mallory wanting to go outside to ride her tricycle. And so mom went outside and said, listen, honey, listen to me. You see over there, that's, that's the edge of our yard there. And you see over there, that's the edge of our driveway. Between those places, you can ride your trike all you want. But if you go outside of those boundaries, mom's going to see you. I'm right inside the house. I'm looking out the kitchen window. And if you go outside those boundaries, I'm going to come out. I'm going to spank your bottom, honey. So don't go out inside these boundaries. You're good. But outside of them, mommy will come and spank you. John said it was amazing because Mallory, sitting there on her tricycle in the driveway, looked at the boundaries. And then she turned and she looked at her mom and she said with great seriousness, well, you might as well spank me now because I got places to go. <laughs> wow. Right? At like five years old. It's funny, and yet if you were her mom, you would be concerned, right? You would be worried. And in that same spirit, God wants to speak to us. Because our tendency is to resist submission in the same way. Even to the point of endangering and in fact harming ourselves. Sometimes, friends, submission is the best and most helpful thing that you and me could possibly do. On April 2nd, 2012, 80-year-old Helen Collins climbed into an airplane, a little private airplane, with her 81-year-old husband, John. He was a lifelong, experienced pilot, and and they were going to do something they'd done before. They were going to fly from their home in Florida to the kids' home in Wisconsin and and spend some time with the grandkids. 
Helen said she was, she was never afraid to fly with John, even though the plane was small, because he was such a good pilot. He always knew exactly what to do, so much so that she, in all those years, had never even taken the wheel before. She just had no interest in it. It wasn't her thing. It was John's thing. And her son, Richard, would say later that, you know, I couldn't even get mom to use the computer, anything mechanical or electrical. She just wasn't interested. But everything was about to change for Helen. Because you see, late on the afternoon of April 2nd, a little more than halfway to Wisconsin, John suddenly suffered a heart attack and died right there in the cockpit, leaving Helen thousands of feet in the air as it was getting dark in an airplane she had no idea how to fly. And suddenly, Helen was on her own. In the interview later, her son said, you know, mom was always the boss. Even though she was tiny, she never let anyone push her around. When the family was together, we all knew that mom was in charge. But not now. Not in this moment. No, in this moment, she needed a very different skill. And the good news is, that she had that skill. She knew how to submit. She was able to get in touch on the radio with a, a local airport. They found a pilot who was able to, to talk to her about flying and ultimately landing the plane. And over the next hour, he patiently and carefully talked her down. In the end, she actually landed the plane safely in the dark with no one to do it for her because she knew how to listen and do exactly what she was told. Can you imagine what it felt like to be her in that moment and to know that her only hope was in submission? In the same way, God wants to call our attention to that reality. He wants to teach us that our hope lies in submission to him and into those he calls us to submit to. Because the reality is this, our submission is just, or our situation is just like Helen's, only the stakes for us are so much higher. The stakes are the health of our kids, our family, our marriage. The health of our soul in a world filled with sin and lies and rebellion. And what's at stake is our witness of the gospel at work or at school or in our family or in the community where we live, wherever we are called to submission. We have to make a choice about submitting or not because God demands it like a rescue swimmer demands submission from the one they're rescuing. You know, once upon a time, like all of us, I had this great fear and anxiety about submission. But going into the military taught me that when I learn to submit, I actually don't lose anything. In fact, I gain many things. And when I became a Christian and began to learn to submit to Jesus as my Lord, I discovered a, a power so great that it can defeat my flesh, it can defeat the devil, it can set me free to live like Jesus. Let me ask us this morning, where is God calling you to submit? And where... Do you find yourself more like Mallory? <laughs> Spank me now, I've got places to go. Where is God calling you to that? Now, the Apostle Paul is going to address these issues very specifically. Let's listen to uh, Colossians, beginning with verse 18 of chapter 3. Here's what the Bible says. Let the peace of Christ, 
rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, not as individuals, not as a bunch of free agents, as members of one body, as a we, not an I, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, for as such we are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. That's what we're doing right here in this moment. We're setting aside time to come to God's word. He sees that and he delights in that. Your father sees your interest in his word and he delights in that. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God as you do that together. And whatever you do, here, away from here, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That doesn't mean to just put a Jesus bumper sticker on whatever you're doing. It means to do things in his spirit, in his attitude, according to his ways. In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then here it comes. Very specific. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, Love your wives and don't be harsh with them. By the way, we're going to see in a moment that call to love your wives isn't just a sentimental send her flowers every two weeks, romance her a little less, not at all what he's talking about. He's talking about a radical self-sacrifice. We'll get back to that in a moment. Love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, don't embitter your children or they will become discouraged. We'll talk on this briefly. Slaves, employees, we would say today. Much slavery in those days was really indentured servitude. You would have a contract with a household or a patron. You would serve them for X number of years, and you were referred to as a slave. It wasn't a pejorative as it sometimes has become. That's most of the time. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. Not just in a few things, in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you, and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. In other words, don't just go through the motions. Don't just check the boxes. Don't just color inside the lines. Have an attitude of submission, of obedience to your earthly masters. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Catch this, as working for the Lord, not for men. Wow, that's a big deal. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, since you know who really writes the paycheck. Because it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Man, we're going to touch on that in a moment. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. There's no favoritism. Masters, because some of us are slaves. We're masters. We own the company. We own the business. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Because you know that you're really just a steward over that business. You aren't really the free agent boss. The business really belongs to God and you are taking care of his stuff. Wow, there's a lot to unpack here. Let's take a few minutes and do that. Go back to verses 15 and 17 and notice that what the Bible calls us to is fellowship and worship because we are souls more than bodies. Because what happens inside of us controls and dictates what happens outside of us. We forget this so easily. We think of ourselves as just minds and bodies. And so we take care of mind and body and then wonder why in the deeper parts of who we are, we struggle. That's because we are first and foremost souls. 
And what goes on on the inside governs what happens on the outside. You say, I don't, I don't see what singing to God has to do with what goes on in my life during the week. That's because you don't sing to God. Once you learn to do that, to offer your worship, it transforms you. The power of God is present in your worship. It changes you from the inside out. So, same thing happens with regard to fellowship. When we come together, when we see ourselves as, as a unity, as a family, as a whole, as a we, not an I, out of that, through that, flows the power of God. You know, if I asked us this morning, who's ready for a month-long cruise in the South Pacific? Raise your hand if you'd be interested in that, right? Now, some of us are seasick, so, you know, we're, we're not really about that. But, but you know, immediately our minds go, how awesome would that be? If I said, what about a year-long cruise? You'd go, even better. I'm going to put up both hands. But you know what ancient sailors discovered about sailing around the South Pacific? It's actually a death trap if you don't make sure that you get enough citrus and vitamin C. A thing called scurvy happens to you. And no matter how beautiful the beach is, no matter how bright the sunshine is, no matter how glorious nature is, you slowly die. <laughs> because what's happening inside of you is so much more significant than what's going on outside. Listen, friends, let me just encourage you. If you want to radically change your life, then say to yourself, I'm going to learn how to worship you, God. I'm going to learn how to surrender myself to worship with my whole heart when the church gathers together. I'm going to, I'm going to step into that, Lord. Oh, my goodness. That's like plugging a socket into a, or plugging a cord into a socket. There's an experience of power that flows from that. So, so God invites us to do that. And then in verses 18 to 20, God speaks to us about something we all struggle with if we're married. And the reason why many marriages fail to thrive. God who invented marriage gives some very specific counsel. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. Have an attitude of surrender to his leadership. We're not talking about tyranny. We're not talking about abject, you know, being uh, controlled. We're not talking about that kind of stuff. We're talking about an attitude in which you say, you know what, God, I'm going to let my husband be the leader of my home. I'm going to give him my counsel. I'm going to share my thoughts. I'm going to express my opinions. But at the end of the day, I'm going to let him be the leader. There's a part of us that hates that idea. But the reality is, God says he'll meet us in it. And, and then he says to husbands, love your wives. Now, now, friends, this little passage here is shorthand for an extended discussion of marriage over in Ephesians chapter 5. So let's listen to, to kind of this blown up into its fullness. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 21, God specifically addresses marriage. And here's what he says. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wow. Have an attitude of mutual submission. Notice I didn't say a, a, a to-do list of mutual submission. An attitude of submission. When you see your wife, when you see your husband, let your first thought be, how can I show submission to her, submission to him? And then to unpack that, he says, wife, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. That's a tall order, but Jesus is inviting you to do something that he himself has done. He submitted to the Father and the Spirit, came to earth and went to the cross. He's already done what he's calling you to do. And he wasn't diminished by it. He didn't become nothing as a result of it. In fact, he became great as a result of it. 
And he invites you to the same thing. And then, fellas, look at what it says. Uh, Wives, submit to your husbands, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of his church. But as the church submits to Christ, wives should submit to their husbands. And then catch this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. That's a mouthful. Jesus came to utterly sacrifice himself on behalf of the church. He came to go to the cross for us, to spend his life being hated, reviled, and rejected for saying things some people didn't want to hear. He he came to pour himself out. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve, all on behalf of the church. And husbands, that's God's call to you. That kind of submission goes farther and deeper than the submission she's called to exhibit to you as a wife. Yours is meant to be an utter surrender to her welfare, to her benefit, to what's best for her. You know, as I mentioned a moment ago, Ron and I are going to celebrate 37 years this week. We're excited about that. Some dear friends have allowed us to go to their condo up in Chelan, and and I just have to tell you that I probably won't be missing you for a few days, okay, in case you're wondering. But when we look back on our marriage, can, can can I tell you something? There have been many times when Rhonda would come to me uh, when we're thinking about making a decision or, you know, whatever it is. She would come to me and eventually she would say, okay, we've talked about this. Now, honey, I trust you. Whatever you decide, I'm good with. When she says that to me, I'm just blown away. Wow. How, how would, and when I hear her trust in me in those moments, I'm like, oh man, I got to get this right. I got to get this right for her. But how brave of her to say that. How faith-filled for her to say that. And then, and then it goes both ways. You know, when we were brand new in the ministry, a story for another time, but I was just two years into pastoring, and because of all the anxiety and stress and challenges, I ended up having a heart attack. I ended up in the hospital. And when I came out of the hospital, here's my wife with a newborn baby thinking, am I going to lose you? And I, I, I made a promise to her that day because I knew God was calling me to it. I said, honey, I want you to know that if at any time in the rest of our lives, if at any time the demands and challenges of being a pastor, everybody's got demands and challenges, but if these particular ones, if these become too much, you just say the word and I'll resign. I'll do something else and I will serve you and our family for the rest of our lives. So, honey, you have the power to make that call. That's a degree of sacrifice that touched her profoundly. And to this day, she'll get tears in her eyes when she remembers it. She holds that power to this day. Yeah, fellas, that's what we're called to, that kind of submission. If you shy away from it, you will only diminish yourself. If you step into it, you will become great in your wife's eyes. Ladies, you know what your husband has dreamt of all his life? is somebody who trusts in his leadership, somebody who's a teammate, somebody who's on his side no matter what. When you go to him and you say, you know what, here's my counsel, here's my thoughts, here's what I think, but in the end, I trust your decision. Oh my goodness, have you touched him in the deepest possible place? You see, when God calls us to submission, it's always in order to bring blessing to us. It's always because he wants to bless us with something that cannot be received any other way. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. We love that part. But the rest of the story is when a man found it, he went and sold all he had and bought that treasure. Yeah, there was a submission. There was a sacrifice. But he wasn't moaning about it. He was rejoicing in it. God calls us to that kind of submission. It's kind of like, in The Princess Bride, you remember how he wins her heart? He keeps saying, as you wish. 
Pretty soon she's got no defenses anymore. Pretty soon she's his. Yeah, that's how it works. God calls us to this submission. And we don't have time to get into this this morning, but it's because it's central to his life. You know, the Christian faith uniquely teaches that God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. Not three gods, three persons, one God. Unlike anything else in all creation. And it is their mutual submission and love that is their life, that is his life. And so when he calls us to it, he's inviting us into his life. It's a big deal. So understand that that's the key to blessing in your marriage. The next verse expands that godliness beyond marriage within the family. Verse 20, children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. Now, obviously, he's not talking about adult children. At that point, we're in the honor our parents mode. But here's the reality. Many of us don't. <laughs> Many of us simply choose not to. We've collected hurts, resentments, anger over the years. And as a result, we've ceased to honor. We've ceased to obey our parents. And when we do that, we cut ourselves off from God's blessing. You say, you don't, Pastor Greg, you don't know. Yeah, I do. I do. I've heard it all. I've experienced a fair amount of it myself. And God still says, honor your father and mother respect and show honor to them. And that's the first promise that comes, by the way, with a blessing, Exodus chapter 20 tells us, that it may go well with you and that you may live long on the earth. How many of us are reconciled to our parents right now? Friends, listen to me. Your parents need your grace. They need it. They were just kids like you when they had you as kids. They were trying to figure it out the same as you, and you say, well, they did this, this, and this wrong. Yeah, I know. Guess what they did right? Your stomach was filled every day. You had clothes. You had a roof over your head. That's just a starter. Let's talk about that for a minute. Let's not forget that, run past that, or take that for granted. And to honor our parents is God's will for us. To submit to the honoring of our parents is God's will for us. Most of us expected too much of them and need their grace and need to give them our grace. And then verse 21, Paul goes on, he says, fathers, don't embitter your children or they will become discouraged. In those days, fathers had the primary responsibility for raising the kids. It's, it's become a little different in our culture. But the point is that when we communicate to our kids expectations that are so high that they eventually give up on reaching them, we have embittered them. Can I tell you that I wrestled with this a little bit as a dad when Isaiah was a teenager? Yeah, there were some seasons in there when unknowingly, I didn't even understand how it was happening, but in some ways, I was portraying to my son a, a, a standard of behavior, of character that, that was so high, he felt like there was no way he could reach it. One day, a transformative moment in our relationship, one day when he was about 15 and, and he was being called on the carpet, rightly so, for behavior that was out of line, he was crying, weeping, and he said to me, Dad, it's not fair. You are Captain America, and I can never be that. Now, that's silly, right? We all know better than that. If you want to know whether I'm Captain America or not, ask my wife. She'll assure you that I am not. But in his eyes, in his eyes, I was an impossible standard. Boy, did that change our relationship that day as I understood that for the first time. Oh, my goodness. And we had a great talk, and God's healed all that. But that's what God is talking to us as parents about here. Don't embitter your kids. Be patient with them. And then, and then he takes it into the workplace. 
Look at verses 22 and following. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is Jesus you are serving. You know, if I asked you this morning, if we were sitting at your kitchen table and I asked you who you work for, would you name a company or uh, a government entity, or maybe would you name yourself? The real answer is you work for God. The real answer is that we, whatever we do, work for God. That's true if we're the bosses as well, if we're the masters, if we own the company. The reality is we work for God as stewards over the company. This is hard to hear because, to be honest, sometimes work is no fun, and we complain about it, and we resent it, and we spend all our time criticizing or complaining our supervisors, our leaders, the president, whoever. God says, no, 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 that's not my will for you. Sometimes work is no fun, but in the midst of it, I will meet you if you will adopt the attitude of submission. Eileen Smith is a speech therapist in Milan, Michigan. She works with small children. One day she was working with a preschooler on pronouncing the K sound as distinct from the CH sound. She was trying to help this little girl grasp this. And and so she had the girl make a Play-Doh sculpture of her, the teacher. And then she was pointing to various body parts and trying to get her to pronounce the various, you know, chin uh, and so on. And so uh, she pointed to the clay Play-Doh person's neck and said, what part of me is that? And the little girl said, well, that's your chin. And so she pointed a little lower, and she said, what part is that? And the girl said, that's your other chin. (laughs) Sometimes work doesn't feel good, right? It doesn't, right? And, And we get resentful, and we get upset, but God says, no, no, no. No, 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 understand that in your work, you're actually serving me. That's what's really going on at work. Friends, when you grasp this, it changes everything. Whatever you do, Do it as unto the Lord and you will receive an inheritance from him. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Everybody wants to find a satisfying job, but the satisfaction, the real satisfaction in any job comes from knowing that you're actually serving Jesus in the people that you serve. Reggie McNeil writes about sitting on a bench by a beach boardwalk in Virginia one summer afternoon and watching a woman in green coveralls pushing a broom. She was a city worker, meticulously cleaning the sidewalk and singing while she did it with a beatific expression on her face. When she paused to wipe her forehead, it was a a warm day. He called out to her. He said, wow, you are doing a great job. Thank you, she replied. And pretty soon they struck up a conversation. And he asked her why she seemed so happy. You know, is it your birthday? Did something happen today? Why, Why are you in such a great mood? And that was when she turned a little bit serious and she said, You know, I just believe that people enjoy walking on a clean sidewalk. And when I see them walk down my clean sidewalk, it makes me happy. When I see them walking on, you see what she was doing? She wasn't just getting a a task done. She wasn't just getting dirt off the sidewalk. She wasn't just collecting a paycheck. She wasn't just putting in X number of hours so she could get X number of dollars. No, she was serving people in her mind and in her heart. And because of that, she found a joy that most people never find at work. Why? Because she understood what she was really doing. This isn't a a psychological trick. 
This is spiritual reality. It's why Jesus said, truly, I tell you, whatever you do for one of the least of these, you do for me. And and please, don't fail to notice that the pay scale you work for is set by God. It says, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. It is he who will reward you for your work. Grab onto this. You will never in your life meet a more generous boss than your father God. And his reward to you for choosing to submit yourself at work will make whatever you get deposited in your bank account look like nothing. Because he is the one who rewards. This gets really intense when you let it happen. We don't have time to get into it this morning, but in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, the Bible says that, that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. In other words, the way you and I choose to live here on earth now is educating angelic beings about who God is. Man, this is wild. But the thought that everything you and I do is being watched by beings beyond our imagination and that from us they are learning about God turns your workplace not into a a dirty nowhere in the corner but turns your, your workplace into center stage of eternity. This is wild stuff. And lest we think this only applies to employees, look at chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Yeah, you work for somebody. Even if you think you don't, you actually do. And he's watching how you do it. And when you do it well, he rewards you. Big deal. And so God says to me, to you, submit at your workplace. That's where the reward is. That's where the meaning is. That's where the joy is. When your life and mine becomes a mission to serve God, we discover the power to submit in places we didn't think we ever could. You know, older generations have celebrated Psalm 84, verse 10. Uh, Many times we've lost touch with it these days, but here's what Psalms 84, verse 10 says. Better is one day in your courts, O Lord, than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Wow. God, I'd rather do the most menial job for you than to have the greatest job in the world that has nothing to do with you. Friends, when we grasp that, it will utterly transform your experience of work. Quick story, and we're almost done. Jesus in John chapter 13 gets up at the Last Supper and takes upon himself the role of a slave. He washes the feet of the disciples. And the Bible tells us there was a reason why he did that. Listen to chapter 13, verses 3 and following. The scripture says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, because he knew that, he got up, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and began to wash his disciples' feet. Because he knew he had such a great destiny, because he knew the reward and the future that lay ahead of him, he didn't run away from doing the job of a slave. Instead, he embraced it and did it with joy. Instead, he did it from his whole heart because he knew he had nothing to lose. He would in no way be diminished. He wasn't dealing with insecurity that flows from sin. No, no, no. He was free to serve, free to choose to submit. And God invites 
us to experience the same thing. God offers us the same thing. Let me finish with a story. We're almost done. One last story. The Moravian missions movement of the late 17th and 18th centuries. I know my nerd is showing, my history nerd, but what a beautiful story. What a beautiful chapter in the history of the Christian faith. The Moravian missions movement of the late 17th and 18th centuries saw thousands of people spontaneously volunteer to become missionaries around the world from Africa to Asia to what was known then as the New World here in North and South America. They did it voluntarily. They left behind everything and they did it in droves. And there are many amazing stories I could keep you here all day. But let me share just one. Johann Dober and David Nitschmann were two young German men from Hernhut in Germany who felt called by God in 1732 to bring the gospel of Jesus to the slaves working in the plantations in the Caribbean. Now in those days there was no way to get on those islands unless you were an owner or a slave. And when asked by the leaders of their church and missions board how they would support themselves on the field, they said, we are prepared to sell ourselves as slaves in order to work on the plantations and bring the gospel to the men and women who are there. Wow. And it went even deeper. When they were denied permission to sell themselves as slaves because they were white men, and in those days, white men weren't allowed to be slaves. When they were denied permission, they chose instead to become carpenters who could uh, indenture themselves to plantation owners as workers in order to launch a mission in the Caribbean that resulted ultimately in the baptizing of more than 13,000 people into faith in Jesus and the planting of dozens of churches, many of which stand to this day. Why? Because they were utterly unafraid of submission. Because they knew submission wouldn't diminish them. Because they understood the example that our Savior has set for us. An example of power and of love and of grace. Your marriage needs your submission. Your family needs your submission. Your workplace, your community. And in it, God will meet you. In it, God will teach you the joy that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live with always. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me for a moment. And let me ask you as my fellow follower of Jesus, where is God calling you to submit? The Holy Spirit will make it known to you. Just listen. Where is God calling you to submit? Maybe as you sit here today, you say, you know what? I, I don't know God as my Father. I don't know Jesus as my Savior. He's here for you. He's here in this moment inviting you to know Him as your Savior, to know God as your Father. And that happens in the moment you submit to Jesus as your Savior. The gospel is so simple. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You can make that choice this morning. You can submit to this man who comes as your Savior, to the Son of God, and he'll meet you in this morning.
You'll change if you're willing to choose that submission. You can do it right here and right now. God hears your heart. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And as we go out into a world terrified of submission, send us out as people unafraid, as people who know who holds our future in his hands. Send us out as those willing to give ourselves that they might know you. We pray for that, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, friends? The person next to you fell asleep while I was talking. Just give them an elbow. Wake them up so they're not too embarrassed. But listen, it's, it's a huge temptation here is to hear this with your head and not your heart. It's not the one, two, three things you do. It's your attitude. That's where God meets us in submission. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon. Did you have to elbow her and wake her up? Is that what you had to do? Hey there. Remember you prayed for my wife? I do. Yeah. He passed away that night. Went to glory. Yeah. Went. I'm not gonna flinch. I'm not gonna